What's up, everybody? It's the Roundtable Sports Podcast. My name is Taylor McLean. Today, we're going to talk about the mock draft challenge a little bit later on. But first, I wanted to clean up a couple of things that have happened in the last couple of days. And uh, first things first, you know, Julian Edelman, you know, got released by the New England Patriots and then subsequently retired. And uh, first off, you know, he had a great career. I mean, clearly a guy of his size following in the Wes Welker footsteps and, you know, really being that guy for Brady for a good stretch of time, you know, was impressive. You know, he has the three Super Bowl rings and the MVP and, you know, was a threat and certainly would have been a big deal to have him healthy for Cam Newton and the current Patriots as well. But clearly, you know, New England kind of knew this was coming and planned accordingly with the signings that they had. And it seems like, you know, it was a knee situation for Edelman that he never could just quite get right and get, you know, extended time on the field, you know, uh, while being healthy. And it's a shame because, you know, we want to see, you know, good football. And I think he could have added something to the NFL but where it's not a shame is that now that he's released and then he did us the favor of retiring right afterwards, it's not a shame that I don't have to look at every person speculate that their team should sign Edelman and that's going to put them over the top for the Super Bowl. Literally, it felt like um, the next day on my feed where I look at what the NFL fans were th- are thinking across the different teams and literally every one of them, some fan had the idea that their team should sign Edelman and that was going to put them over the top. And then they were going to win the Super Bowl at that point because Edelman was so strong. And it just goes to show you that most people are locked into their own team and watch their own game, but they're not watching you know, what's going on around the league and they're not seeing what these guys are putting out on film or not putting out on film because they're injured for such big stretches of time. And that's just been the case for Edelman at this point. And, you know, kudos to him for not holding on too long. I mean, he definitely held out a couple of seasons, it seems, to try and get the knee right, but just couldn't do it this time. And, you know, maybe it's a situation where he tries and gives it a go for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, that's the only situation that I really see, you know, him trying to go out for at this point in his career. He kind of seems like a guy that just wants to be a Patriot and just wants to ride out, you know, in a blaze of glory like he did. And, uh, you know, I could only see Tom being the only one that could really pull him out. And then they move on from Antonio Brown. But it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate him saving me a whole ton of speculation where, you know, this team or that team should sign Edelman and the Denver Broncos, this is going to put them over the top or, you know, whoever it may be that everybody always looks at the name and think that's going to, and thinks that's what's going to, you know, do it for their team kind of in the same way that I don't like that the Patriots are kind of still rolling with cam and that, you know, Patriot fans are excited about that. They think the weapons were the problem. And I got to think they were definitely a problem, but I just don't see the arm strength there for Cam anymore. And it makes me wonder if the Patriots are already set up for failure, you know, if Cam can't produce for them. 
And, you know, the running looked fine when you look at Cam, but the throwing at times was really tough to watch. And, you know, he just didn't have the same velocity he used to be capable of throwing with. So not to just talk about Cam every time you talk about the Patriots, but, you know, as much as people, you know, put all the blame or put nut or give all of the credit to a quarterback, just like when people heap all of the blame or give all of the credit to a quarterback in this situation, you just have to wonder if there's anything that can bring him back to that level that he was at that made the Carolina Panthers so dangerous in those years. And like I said, when I went back and looked at the film, it just doesn't look like the same guy really uh, from the throwing aspect. And uh, when you are so reliant on that arm, you know, that's a situation where, you know, when it goes away from you and you have to have a different type of pitch, you know, if you haven't spent any time really developing that or you haven't been able to develop that, that's going to be an issue for you going forward. And I kind of think that's the issue they may have with Cam. Now, there's still a lot of talk that New England isn't done. And the way they structure the contract, it looks like if he doesn't play, he's just a really expensive backup and that they've spent this other money at other positions. So I think there's still you know some plans in play. And the New England Patriots could look to move up in the draft and try and get one of those big five guys. You know, I don't think there's any chance that they're going to get Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson or probably it seems, I guess, if you believe what the 49ers are peddling, that it's going to be Mac Jones. You know, they still might have a shot at Justin Fields or Trey Lance. And I'd much rather go into a season with one of those guys than I would you know, trying to ride Cam out into something that I don't think is ever coming. And it's sad because Cam was one of my favorite players and I'm a Cam supporter, but not when you're talking about relying on his arm when it comes to today's NFL. I don't think that's a good call for him to be able to last 17 games at this point. So we'll see kind of how it turns out on that end, but a great player Maybe not a Hall of Famer like some are claiming, but a good player that, you know, really had a role on one of the best dynasties that we've had, you know, this decade. Or a good player that had a key role on one of the, you know, penultimate teams across, you know, a bunch of different Super Bowls in, you know, the second half of Tom Brady's career. It's uh, certainly a career that, you know, has to be respected. But like I said, I just don't know. It's quite Hall of Fame, like some are claiming, I guess, you know, sometimes I guess postseason accolades are supposed to, you know, usurp the overall talent or, you know, how they were actually stacked up, you know, when it comes to other receivers in the NFL. But we'll see how that part plays out as well. But like I said, I'm just glad that uh, I don't have to look at, you know, all the Buffalo Bills or all the Browns or whoever it is, just not, not picking on any one team. It's just every team. You know, they want to get better and they see this name and they think, okay, this is a big name. We're going to get this guy and that's going to put us over the top. Well, I don't think that Julian Edelman would have brought that to any team at this point. So um, there you go. There was another little signing that kind of leads me into a bigger point. So let's talk about Giovanni Bernard a little bit. Gio has been a favorite of mine. Not that I think he is a top back by any means, but I like him as a change of pace back for a team. And he kind of lost a little bit of a step this last year. He wasn't 
as explosive as he had been in the past, but he still seemed to have a certain amount of explosion. And I think he can add to a team in a role where they need him to catch footballs and, you know, be someone that's kind of fluid and they can kind of give you a little extra on top of, you know, being sure handed. And for whatever reason, Tampa Bay has been really key on adding that type of guy. They drafted Keyshawn Vaughn last year. They tried to shoehorn Leonard Fournette into that role with some success. And even at times, you know, had Ronald Jones catching the ball out of the backfield. And they don't seem to be sold on Ronald's hands at all. And they seem to be kind of worried about his ball security. He must be showing them in practice. And sometimes he shows it in games where, you know, it doesn't seem like he has the surest hands in the whole world. But it seemed like he was catching it well enough, I thought. And I have to admit, I'm kind of greedy. I want, you know, one back to dominate the carries and be a fantasy menace. And if Geo does anything, it kind of shows that there's probably not going to be that one guy in Tampa Bay that you can rely on at this point. Maybe Leonard's able to corral enough of the carries and enough of the touches to do so. Part of what Leonard was doing is he was the passing down back as well as the goal line back. And then Ronald was kind of carrying a decent amount of the lumber as well between the the 20s. So, okay, I like Leonard, and I think he's worth a a late-round pick, but I think he's probably going to end up being overdrafted for a three-headed back situation that this is kind of lining up to be. And that makes me somewhat concerned. And, yeah, maybe I'll be taking shots at Leonard well late in the rounds, but I don't know if that's going to be the situation after he showed as well as he did in the playoffs and the Super Bowl. That always creates a certain amount of bias when it comes to you know drafting a running back in fantasy and where they get drafted is if they had a big playoff run and you know they get a lot of pub because of it, then that kind of clouds everybody's minds as to what it could be when they think about what it was for a certain stretch of time. You know, I try not to get caught up too much in really good stretches, you know, during the season because, you know, it can be a bad stretch of teams. It can be, you know, certain people are hurt. You just have to try and take everything with a grain of salt as it were. And Leonard as a top round running back doesn't really do it for me. So that's something I'll be watching. And it's Geo that kind of clouds that a little bit for Leonard, like I said, because that kind of takes some of the passing work out of the range and kind of puts him in the game more and probably means the end of Shady McCoy as well with the Buccaneers. But you know what? There's been a lot of Buccaneers that I thought were going to leave this year that haven't left. When I looked at the salary cap situation and I looked at all the different guys that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had to pay – I was very surprised they were able to do what they did and really retain everybody at this point. They've added Geo and they've retained everybody else. Now, the only person it seems like they haven't retained is Antonio Brown. And I did like the role that he played with them. And I would be on board with them bringing him back as well. Seems like he's got an offer on the table to do so. And it's just been crazy to me that they've been able to get all these guys to sign you know, not even necessarily that team-friendly deals for some of them, but they were able to get everybody signed and under contract and be able to run this back. And I'm not saying that makes them the favorite by any means, but at the same time, 
it is impressive and it certainly means they're going to be a contender and that everybody else should look out that if they're able to maintain health in the same way that they did this last year, then they could be dangerous and they could be even more dangerous. They still have draft picks to play with as well as they're going to get OJ Howard back and then they're bringing back everybody else. I mean, that's a situation for success, you know, as long as Tom's able to hold it together, which why would we think he's going to do anything but that when that's what he's been doing to defy the odds of what we thought was capable for quarterbacks for some time already. So I think that was really more interesting to me than the geo thing, obviously is just the fact that I thought that they were going to have to make some decisions here and that everybody was going to have a chance to poach some of these players that made them so, you know, potent, especially like Shaq Barrett. I thought maybe they would sacrifice Shaq Barrett and then bring the rest of the core back, but they were able to do both. And uh, I'm guessing that they had to kick, a bunch of money down the path a little bit as well to do so, but it's impressive. They were able to do it. However they did it and certainly gives them a chance to repeat as good a chance as anyone else. I mean, they won a pretty convincing game against the chiefs and, you know, we're bringing everybody back and it didn't seem like anybody outside of Tom is really on that point where, you know, they're going to fall off a cliff at this time. I mean, certainly it's possible, but, I mean, even Tom has given us no reason to think he's going to at this point. I watched an older video of Tom the other day, and I mean, it looks exactly the same. He looks like the same. It's not only, you know, obviously the same throwing motion, all those things, but it's just the velocity. His movement within the pocket is a little less, but his velocity, his arm strength, all those things are there. And, uh, you know, having a pocket passer of that ilk is less and less common these days because, you know, teams are less and less likely to commit to these guys where where they are straight up pocket passers and they don't have that mobility, you know, to get away from people at a high level, you know, like your Kyler Murray's and the like. And, you know, they don't get enough time to develop a lot of the time because they're just not as mobile and, you know, teams aren't as willing to let these guys, you know, develop those skills where they can beat people mentally people are already all over to a tongue of Iloa that he's not Justin Herbert, that he's not Josh Allen already in year one. And yeah, Herbert and Burrow looked good, but they're different types of quarterbacks and they develop differently. And Justin Herbert still had plenty of struggles. I mean, obviously they need to work on their offensive line, but you know, it's just uh, not so linear when it comes to these quarterbacks and their success and the like, and you have to dig a little deeper and take a look and kind of project what they could be in the same way that we're talking about Sam Darnold. We got to project out and see what we think Sam Darnold could be, not what he was with the jets. It's going to be something different. And a lot of people, you know, are too quick to heap all of the blame on a quarterback when it doesn't go well, when Adam Gase is screwing everything up, when their offensive line is terrible, where they're putting subpar weapons out there for him on the field. I mean, we saw with Patrick in the Super Bowl against those Tampa Bay Buccaneers to bring it all back. You have to have everything else in concert, even if you're Patrick Mahomes to win. And uh, it seems like Tampa Bay's brought everybody back to kind of make that happen. So we'll see if they're able to repeat. It's been very difficult in the NFL for some time to do so, whether it's just the more wear and tear on the team itself or, you know, your payers get, or your players, you know, getting paid because they teams want to be successful like you are. So 
we'll see if this uh, bringing everybody back thing really does it for Tampa or whether somebody else is able to step up with their health and the like this year. So something we started doing last year that made the NFL draft more exciting was I, we started doing what I call the mock draft challenge. Now it's not anything official yet. Hopefully we can get that changed and start taking wagers and, and the like there with that. But, um, what it is, is it's kind of like your bracket, but with the mock draft and it's a way to kind of compete with your friends and gamble a bit and have a fun with the first round, a little bit more fun than ever I'd ever had before, even though it's something that I've always enjoyed is the NFL draft because I'm a weirdo. But what you do is everybody fills out their mock draft, no trades. So all the team remain in whatever draft order they are before the draft when everybody's submitting it. Obviously the 49ers and Dolphins trades already happened. So we're going to, you know, include that as far as the draft orders go. But if something happens during the draft, this isn't a live situation where, you know, we're taking in the information as these draft pick comes in and then we're forecasting right then. This is, you know, a beforehand situation where everybody submits their mock draft to someone, whoever's in charge up front. And then the way those mock drafts are scored is on a three point system. So everybody fills in the mock draft and then as the, and then as the mock, and then as the picks are made, you know, you got points by one of three things. One, the player that was picked was a player that you had in the mock draft. As long as that player is picked somewhere within the first round, you get a point. So whether Trevor Lawrence or Patrick Sertan or whoever is picked in the first round, you know, as long as you had them in your mock draft somewhere, if you had them at nine and they go 10 or whatever, you still get a point for having that person in your mock draft. And where that becomes important is those back end picks like 20 through 32. Those picks are harder to nail down as far as who's who likes who and who's going to make it into the first round and you end up kind of averaging about 25 people, it seemed like, that made the mock draft that were actually picked in that first round. It gets a little harder than you would think as it gets kind of towards that end. You know, because, I mean, I'm sure everybody will have those top 10 players in there, you know, as far as Patrick Sertan and Trey Lance and all that. But, you know, once you get towards those end guys, it gets a little harder and it gets a little bit more involved as far as who we think first-round talents are and then who these t- what these teams' needs are. And it gets kind of interesting on that end. So one point for that player that you had picked being picked in the first round. A second point is received if that player is picked the number pick that you had them picked. So if you have Patrick Sertan 10, no matter who drafts him, if the if if he goes at 10, that'll be two points. So that'll be one for Patrick going in the first round. You had him going there. And then the second point will be for him being picked on the same pick that you had him at 10, whether it's the Cowboys or not. So if it's not the Cowboys, you would only receive those two points. Let's say you had it at 10. That is who the Cowboys pick. That's the third point. So if you get the player, he's in the first round. If you get the the number he's picked, so for Patrick Sertan, we're talking 10. That's where where everybody has him mocked. So I keep kind of going back to that as the example. And then you would get the third point for the team. Now, if somebody trades up to 10 and still drafts Patrick Sertan, that's still two points, but you just wouldn't get the point 
for the team. And of course, that means that there's probably not going to ever be a perfect mock draft challenge, but that's kind of the point. And that's why the points are kind of moved around a little bit because you might score points in other ways. I had a couple in my mock draft last year that they moved back and they still took that guy. And I got the two points rather than the rather than just the one for that guy being in the first round. Now I didn't win. It actually turned out that the guy that the least amount of research won because he nailed a couple of picks towards the back end. Uh, Clavion chase on really uh, sealed it for him when the Jaguars picked him in 19. So, but that's the kind of thing that makes this exciting is it came down to him nailing that pick. And then I'm in there and I'm calculating everything and who do I think is going to do what? And I nailed everybody that I thought was going to take a tackle, but they didn't take them in the order that I thought they were going to take them in. So that screwed me. I mean, there was all these different things that the mock draft challenge added to the draft that made it a lot more fun. So if you can understand the rules and you know, you kind of want to fill out your own mock draft, I think that would make it more exciting to apply those numbers and apply the point system and, you know, play with your friends. And if you want to submit one to me, I'll score it for you and let you know how you did. Um, the Twitter handle is round T sports pod. And certainly, of course, I encourage you to follow as well. But, uh, you know, if you want to submit a mock draft for the mock draft challenge, and want to see how it works. I'll definitely accept those and score those for you come draft time, but I'm excited to see how it all plays out. I mean, it kind of feels like everybody's going to get those first three points with Trevor Lawrence. You know, everybody thinks the Jaguars are going to take him and that'd be three, right? And then it's kind of thought to be common knowledge that Zach Wilson will be taking it too. So that's another three points. So you're going to get six points right off the bat, right? But then do you believe that the 49ers are going to take Mac Jones? Is that a smokescreen? Are they actually thinking Justin Fields? I mean, you'll probably get the points for the first round either way, but those are big points to get those. If everybody else goes Mac Jones and then they actually do it and you didn't, that could put you behind in a big way. So a lot of different things to think about with the mock draft challenge. And I want to add that to everyone's lexicon, that that's a part of this and that can add something you know, to our draft time. Not that we need probably more gambling than we already have, but uh, it's just something that I finally came up with that I thought would be fun for me and my friends to go through and look at and kind of get them involved with the draft and whatnot. And, uh, you know, everybody's excited about their first round pick usually, and they want to see their team improve and everybody loves transactions. So it's a good way for everybody to get involved. PFF already has a pretty good mock draft situation too, where you can kind of go in there and mess with it. I see those a lot on the feed and the like where, you know, you're looking through, what people want in their draft and uh, everybody's kind of there's a lot of people split in this year's draft on what their team should do I got to think that's always the case but you know like the the Bengals are really split on whether they they think they should get the left tackle or should they draft Jamar Chase or what should what should they do and those are all the things that you have to think about and worry about with the mock draft challenge and just like fantasy football kind of gives it that extra oomph to care about all the other teams and what they're thinking and just gets you more involved with the NFL and with all this. And, you know, the more involved you get, I think the more you enjoy the football, at least in my opinion, because you understand more about what's going on while they're doing what they're doing. And, you know, you can take advantage of that, whether that's betting or whether that's just, you know, enjoying, you know, and 
and knowing what games to watch and the like. So I want to see these mock draft challenge. I hope some, some of y'all come to me with them and send them in and let me know. And like I said, all it is is just keep the draft order that, you know, you have at the start of the draft, you draft it all out and get and then we score it all up to see how you did, whether you got enough people from the first round or you nailed a couple of teams, draft picks or whatever it is. It's a lot harder than you would think. It's definitely more difficult than a bracket as it were. And there's a lot more, it's more like baseball where if you're batting, you know, 250, you're feeling a lot better than, you know, than in a lot of sports where, you know, a complete good completion percentage for a quarterback, 70%. This is more like baseball because, you know, it's really hard to tell what these teams are going to do. And it's a chain reaction based on, you know, if this happens then this is going to happen, if this tackle is taken, then this tackle is going to go later. You know, it's just, uh, it's an interesting thing. And I'm, I'm excited to bring the mock draft challenge to you. So send those in and let me know what your thoughts are on it. And uh, we'll, we'll get them scored and we'll see, you know, what everybody thinks about their own mock draft once they've tried to do it themselves. Well, that's what I've got for today. Like, listen, subscribe. And of course, if you haven't done so to this point, download the podcast. That's the one that's important as far as, you know, people knowing that you're here. So do that for me, leave a review as far as, uh, you know, on your different platforms and uh, look for the videos. I, the videos have been doing well as far as kind of showing everybody why I think what I think about these different players. So kind of get an idea of what that looks like. Just follow me, the Roundtable sports podcast on YouTube and uh, have a great rest of your day.